Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. Today's episode is episode number 100. That's right. For two years now, we've been uh, getting together like this to talk about the ways in which the church can become a safer place for victims and children and how the church can respond to the issue of domestic abuse. I just wanted to take some time before today's program just to thank you for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. It's so encouraging to hear how the work that we're doing is blessing you, how the podcast is being used to educate pastors and church leaders. I'm amazed every time I hear through Facebook, Twitter, or email that someone has discovered the podcast through a recommendation, uh, and they're learning, and they're growing, and their understanding of the problem is changing. Uh, You are a big part of that if you are a listener, and we really appreciate um, the time that you devote to listening to the PeaceWorks podcast and for making it um, a success, for helping us get to episode 100. So with that said, friends, uh, we just appreciate you so much and hope that you enjoy today's episode as we answer a couple questions. Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. So as I said on today's episode, we're going to be answering uh, a couple questions. We're going to be doing a Q&A episode. Now, I apologize ahead of time. You'll probably notice my voice is not incredibly strong today. And there will be some pauses. You may hear me sipping on some tea. I do apologize. I know this is the 100th episode and they're supposed to be really nice and fancy, but I have been sick, friends. I have really been sick. I was uh, hit with some kind of uh, virus. I thought we thought it was the flu, and then that uh, morphed into some kind of cold. So I've been down for almost a week, and at the time of this recording, I'm starting to bounce back. So I do apologize for my voice, but nonetheless, we have uh, a podcast to conduct. We have questions to answer, and I'm thrilled to be a part of uh, your life and answering some of your questions. So once again, thank you for helping us get to episode 100. Now let's dive into today's questions. So question number one um, comes to us from a helper that says, I've been working with an abused mother who has recently separated from her husband. They've both begun separate counseling, uh, biblical counseling with experts in this area. That's fantastic. The elders are waiting for pronouncement and directions from the counseling center uh, before they do too much. Her biggest concern right now is how the father is using the children to make her look bad. She would like to restrict access altogether, but the church elders have insisted she make sure she is seeing them. He is seeing them, excuse me. How often is reasonable for visitations, and what resources uh, does she have concerning the emotional safety of the children? So I won't be able to answer all of the questions or answer this fully, but I will walk through 
as much of it as I can. I do want to commend um, the church for this process. It sounds like there's been some good things happening. And I really like to focus on a lot of the positives. I know one of the things about this work that can be a bit overwhelming is many of us in the work see the one area where we're lacking and we attack it. But I really want to highlight some of the things here that are positive, such as separate counseling, uh, calling in experts who can address the issue, and then also respecting those experts' opinion. Now, when it comes to the second part of the question, and this is where I want to just kind of camp for a while, the helper writes, her biggest concern right now is how the father is using the children to make her look bad. This is very, very common, so it doesn't surprise me to hear that he's using the children. In fact, it's a very common tactic within the power and control wheel, for instance, is the using is using children. And certainly one of the reasons, one of the goals, I should say, of using the kids is going to be to diminish mom in some way. So this is a very common tactic. Now, with that said, I think it is important that whoever's working with mom dialogue with her about um, what's happening for a couple different reasons. One, I think she needs to have all of the resources, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, available to her to make good decisions. But then I think it's also valuable for her to really reflect and think through what's motivating those decisions. Even in the question, you know, he's using the children to make her look bad. That is a fact. I don't deny that. And so I think one of the things that mom may need to realize, and and I don't mean this in a negative way, obviously, I think this is in something that's just constructive, that mom needs to come to the realization that that is the goal for dad. If he's abusive, then he wants her to look bad. And so for the sake of the children, she may um, take on um, a reputation by others. She may receive some of that hurt. And how are we going to build her core strength and help her endure that and understand that and reflect on that is part of it. And then the other is what resources do we have available to confront that or at the very least protect the children and so the the question goes on to say she would like to restrict access altogether and I do think that's a big ask I I don't see that happening and and that's not a recommendation so please don't hear Pastor Chris saying that he would not believe that would be a good thing that may very well be a good thing maybe dad has no business seeing the kids Um, I've never heard of that happening within the judiciary, like within the court system, that doesn't happen uh, as often as maybe the movies portray it. Uh, For the most part, uh, parents are going to get access to their children. In fact, one of my uh, partners, one of my uh, friends here locally, law enforcement officer, he often says, you know, you guys are going to be business partners for the rest of your life in as much as you're going to be raising these children and you're going to be partnering with the children. And so even if there is a divorce, uh, generally speaking, even when abuse is present, and I hate that this is the reality, um, most states are still issuing things like 50-50 custody. It's not easy to hear, but I think we need to game plan for that and safety plan for that, knowing that it's a real possibility that 
even within the courts, um, dad who may be abusive is still going to receive custody. Now certainly you want to talk to your attorney about that. If you're going through divorce hearing, you want to talk to your attorney about that and document instances of abuse, in particular if the children are the target. Now I personally believe that um, studies are showing us that domestic abuse in the home impacts children and that children who witness domestic abuse are uh, significantly affected and so I'm not saying that dad is safe I'm saying if he abuses mom he's unsafe I'm just also stating my experience within the courts is if the children are not targets then we need to be prepared to plan through what our next steps may be if we can document abuse or even document emotional abuse and the danger to the kids well if we have a good attorney we might see some restrictions in play uh, and I again I don't mean this to be a downer I'm trying to be realistic uh, because we have to plan for things like this now the elders um, insisting that she makes sure he is seeing them um, that's interesting to me that would not be that would not be something that I would do as an elder. For instance, um, I hear about this a lot. If, um, if let's say you guys, this individual was a parishioner at my church and they had come to me with a similar case, uh, it, would, it would not occur to me, at least I don't think it would, to start setting aside times and places and manners for visitation. If there is a separation that I'm assuming is, is legal, I would assume that needs to be mediated between the parties or in a case of abuse if there's say a protective order or something it needs to be um, managed by a judge so it wouldn't even occur to me to say yes I'll be as the pastor overseeing the visitation uh, I would be much more inclined to how can I support you as a victim how can I help him you know confront him as the perpetrator how can we provide for the children we may be, maybe we could serve as a supervised visitation location if we have a church facility, but that, that just seems a little out of bounds to me. Uh, but I know different folks offer, operate different ways. Um, I'm not sure insisting um, shared custody or visitation is necessarily within their wheelhouse. The question wraps up with how often is it reasonable for visitations and what resources does she have concerning the emotional safety of the children you know visitation varies and it's almost always based upon the will of the parents the, the decision of the parents um, not knowing the case not knowing the the individuals I could not possibly make a recommendation here I think it would be inappropriate um, but that is why family courts uh, exist, and so I, in a large part. So I do think that um, a family court would probably make a decision about that. Uh, resources regarding the emotional safety of the children, again, not knowing the case, I don't know. I would say um, we just recently had a master class uh, in PeaceWorks University featuring um, our friend Darby Strickland on the littlest victims which is children of uh, domestic abuse and you know I would recommend resources by Darby maybe head over to her website 
look through some of the material that she has. One of the areas in which we are lacking, and you know, obviously this is a new field for a lot of us in that there wasn't much written 10 years ago even within domestic abuse in the Christian home. And so we, we're resource rich now, but we're still resource poor in certain areas. And one of the areas in which we're resource poor is children uh, of victims and perpetrators, as well as family members. That's another area, such as um, parents of victims. Those are areas that we could really grow in our resources. So yeah, you know, going back over the end of the question, I would not be comfortable making a recommendation over a podcast based on a paragraph uh, just because of how unpredictable this is. Uh, but I do recommend, um, you know, if this hasn't been pursued, maybe a protective order would be in place because then you would have legal documentation um, perhaps discussing this with her attorney especially if you go through custody issues or divorce issues, um, that would probably be a next step. As far as recommendations of visitation, I really can't make any. And without knowing the case, I could not speak to the safety of the children, other than to say we're reasonably convinced that children who witness domestic violence uh, experience many of the same symptoms as children who are targets. And so obviously the home uh, in which abuse occurs is is not safe. It is not a um, safe environment. I hope that was helpful. I know I wasn't able to give complete clarity. I do apologize, but I hope that was helpful. I think we've got time for um, for one more question. So let's transition. Uh, this question is from a survivor. So thank you to all the survivors who do listen. I know that uh, I am not survivor centric. That is, I mean, I do want to serve survivors, but most of my work is geared towards church leaders. Um, but I am always encouraged when a survivor writes us to, to thank us for the work that we're doing. And we appreciate you guys listening in and being part of PeaceWorks. This, you are why we do the work. I often tell folks um, that I'm training to work with perpetrators that uh, perpetrators are not our primary client. The victim is our primary client. So a survivor writes in and says, how do I help my former church to understand that they do not have authority over me due to their lack of proper shepherding and twisting the scriptures? Well, you know, given the sentence, um, I'm, I'm not sure that you can. So the question is, how do I help my former church understand? I'm not sure that you will. And here's why I say that. If I'm reading the question correctly, or if I'm reading into the question correctly, here's what I'm, I'm seeing. So help, how do I help my church understand that I, they do not have authority over me? So I'm assuming that the church has operated with a um, authority is key type of theology. And what I mean by that is there is a segment of churches that really focus in on authority as a uh, key dogma so that the the pastor has authority over the church the church has authority over the saints the husband has authority over the wife the government has authority over the the, the citizens and there's like a and god has authority over it all and like authority 
while true, while there are levels of authority, authority becomes kind of a buzzword for this tribe and almost a driving dogma, so that it is a key theological component to their identity. I hope I haven't completely stereotyped your church. As I'm reading the question, that's the vision that's kind of coming to my mind. Uh, we encounter this quite a bit at PeaceWorks, where churches somewhat overstep, I think, to the point that they're telling people how to function, how to live their daily lives. I'm not talking about life and practice and faith, uh, which I do think the church has a level of spiritual authority, um, but I'm talking about matters of, of politics and philosophy and um, dress and and things that just seem to me out of bounds much very similar to the first question where i wondered you know why the elders felt or why the elders are empowered to insist upon you know visitation so that's my first kind of red flag here as i'm reading the question and then of course there's a there's a caveat you know the questioner wants to help their church understand they don't they don't they don't have authority and i think what's being said is they no longer have authority because of their lack of proper shepherding and twisting the scriptures. Now, in the question itself, I don't know. I do apologize for my voice, guys. In the question itself, <clears throat> I do not know what the improper shepherding or twisting of scriptures was. Now, my guess, based on the assumption I just made about the authority dynamic, my guess is some of the scriptures we use in complementarity possibly um, being twisted to be power over uh, things that I think would be, you know, anti-Christ type of presentations. Also, maybe even the church as authority rather um, power over rather than a power under type of environment. So I think to answer the question, I don't know that you can. Um, if my assumptions are correct. And again, I could be you know, speculating wildly and way off base here, but if my assumptions are correct, then I, I'm not sure there is a way you can help your church understand. My thought would be, at this point, I would guess the questioner has moved on because uh, she uses the phrase former church. So um, this may be a kick the dust from your feet. Now, I have encountered a few of these churches over the years, again, if my assumptions are correct, where you can try to kick the dust, you can try to walk away, you can try to end the relationship, um, but they will not. And in much the same way that a perpetrator crosses boundaries and that churches have been known to do this too. And so possibly disciplining her out of the church, um, possibly holding her membership hostage. We had that one time, uh, a victim. It just wasn't working out. Uh, they were going to divorce. Um, she anticipated, I think, that they were going to discipline her for divorce. She withdrew her membership. Uh, they held her membership and then chose not to discipline her. Because if they disciplined her, she could go to another church. It was bizarre. They were just holding her hostage. And, um, you know, there was nothing much that, that that individual could do. So if your situation were like that, per se, you know, let's say they were holding your membership hostage, you, you may be stuck in limbo. 
But that really is more about them, their sin, than it is about you. Um, so again, I, you know, going back to the question, I'm just not sure. Perhaps um, the only thing that we can do in a situation like this is to continue to trust God um, and to hope that, uh, to pray that darkness is exposed. You know, one thing that has been happening, listener, and that this is for everyone, I, um, I've been seeing a great deal lately how the, the church in particular, the churches that have been propagating abuse for so long, how, you know, slowly some of this stuff is being undermined and slowly judgment is coming to some of these places. And so I think, you know, we need to be faithful uh, to pray for justice, be faithful to pray that um, darkness is brought to light and that some of these institutions that um, in the name of Jesus are functioning differently than, than I think he functions, that they would be brought down, that they would be brought to their knees, that they would surrender to Jesus and that this power over um, theology would begin to diminish and that uh, power under you know, servant theology would, would flourish. Well, I hope that was helpful today, guys. I tried to answer a couple questions. I'm, um, I'm struggling with my voice, so I think I'm going to have to call it a day. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you once again for getting us to 100 episodes. And uh, as always, God bless you guys for your support of PeaceWorks. And um, yeah, until we meet again.